electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It was like a dream today being back downtown again. There was so much symbolism to be on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and it made me feel like the old days where the action is. What's the real point of all this reportage? Wall Street! I don't want to get too existential on a down day, a day where the prospect of higher interest rates spooked the market. Dow slipping 126 points, S&P declining 0.08%, Nasdaq actually advancing 0.49%. But for me, it was a double Wall Street homecoming. The first time being when I was hired by Goldman Sachs almost 40 years ago. The second time shortly after the legendary Mark Haynes passed away and I started working on Squawk on the Street. Granted, it was a bit jarring sitting side by side with my partners, Carl and David, reunited for the first time since the pandemic hit. The floor's slow right now. They're being careful, which I like. But it's still got what made me want to come there in the first place. So my parents took me to the gallery when I was five. No security back then. And a nice trader gave me a roll of ticker tape. Wow. The next time I went as an employee of Goldman Sachs, where I was a helpless stooge, being knocked over repeatedly by clerks, running to place orders, knocked over until I guess they felt I wasn't worth knocking over anymore. These days, much of what's done is electronic, the stock market equivalent of what Kramer Fave TradeWeb does for bond trading, more on that later, but the excitement's still there. What drives it? Well, in some cases, it's stocks like GameStop and AMC that are having stunning moves as they're being bit up by a throng that just keeps winning. Both companies have taken advantage of the throng to raise capital in order to fix their balance sheets, go on offense. We don't know what GameStop's planning. We're going to find out maybe when they're put on Wednesday. But AMC wants to become the most powerful movie theater chain in the world, perhaps as part of a larger hospitality scheme. Maybe CEO Adam Aaron gets it from his history running Vail Resorts, Starwood Hotels, and Norwegian Cruise Lines, to say nothing of a successful ownership stake in the 76ers, where he trusted the process that has them in the playoffs. All those are compelling stories, especially in a thinly traded market like this one, where so many professionals are still on vacation, make it easier for the home gamers to just really assert themselves, if not take over. More important, though, the New York Stock Exchange has both real and symbolic functions. 
The exchange introduces initial public offerings, at least the ones that they've won versus the Nasdaq. And there's a feeling of tremendous excitement as four traders crowd around the new post of, uh, of where the offering is to figure out what, what it's going to open at. Now, we're at post nine. Once a hub of trading. Now we witness the principles of new companies ring the bell. Joyous moment filled with promise, even if that promise is sometimes chimerical. The second thing that goes on, though, is what I love today because it suggests the pandemic may be waning. I'm talking about people jawboning over the price of goods to get the best price for their customers. On a day like today, that means giving traders at big accounts what is known as a picture, what a stock looks like, whether there are big sellers, whether buyers might be willing to pay higher prices. Now, you can't give secrets. In 20 years of trading, you know, I never knew who was on the other side. That's forbidden. You just want to feel a sense that you're going to see a curveball, maybe a change up or maybe something right down the middle. Nowadays, it's possible that most accounts don't even care about what's known as a floor look because so much is done electronically. But if they care enough to ask, today would have seen more sellers than buyers. Okay, that's a funny phrase that sounds like circular reasoning, as in, why did stocks go down? Oh, more sellers than buyers. That's some keen insight. You really don't need Kramer for that one. But you know what? It's true. Listen to me. There are many big accounts who are selling stocks here far more than those who are interested in buying them at these prices. So the sellers have no choice but to accept lower prices, something they obviously don't want. They're always hoping that more buyers will step in. Uh, however, this weekend, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, former Fedger, said that this economy is strong enough to handle or even welcome higher interest rates. Well, that's what causes sellers to just what's known as hit bids all over the place, knock something down. Let's say you're talking about a stock like Nucor. Do you know the steelmaker largest in our country? That's the second best performer in the S&P 500, up roughly 105 percent coming into today's session. Just at one point got crushed. Those who own the stock might be thinking that a rate hike from the Fed means that uh, business will cool and the price increases in steel will no longer stick because everything that uses steel other than infrastructure might be hurt by higher rates. Construction, car loans, be more expensive, transit to fewer buyers. How upset are the owners? Well, Nucor bought a terrific little insulated metal panels company today for a billion bucks, something that's good for business. Might even send the stock into further orbit on another day. But today, uh-uh, sellers overwhelmed the buyers, hit all the bids down to 1.105 and change a week after the stock was at 110. Now, to me, I think it's a fabulous buying opportunity. Nucor has multiple years where it does well when the cycle gets going. So we bought some for the Travel Trust. You can follow along by joining ActionAlertsPlus.com Club. But the stock closed down more than a percent, which put me in an oppositional camp, although maybe an opportunity one, I think it becomes cheaper as it comes down. Sellers obviously don't agree. Of course, that's not how it played out everywhere. We saw buyers overwhelm sellers in Eli Lilly as Biogen got a relatively easy FDA approval for an Alzheimer's drug that might not even be as good as the one Lilly's working on. We saw an oddity on the floor in this one. Buyers at one furious moment willing to pay far more than sellers were willing to sell at. In other words, they took several offerings that were several dollars above where the stock was trading. The sellers simply didn't have time to cancel their offerings, something we see almost daily in the red-hot stocks like AMC or GameStop. Does the floor still matter? A lot of people ask me that. I think so. It can provide more orderly markets on a day-to-day basis. It can give you actual referees if something goes wrong with the trade. It's a very fair place to do business. The big blocks tend to be done upstairs, as they call it, between the big brokerages. However, it will always be a shrine to capitalism at its best. Okay, occasionally it's worst. And nothing, or at least I hope nothing, can ever take away from the simple beauty of traders fighting for you, fighting to buy and sell IPOs at prices that meet the demands of the buyers and sellers. So I wax nostalgic today about being back for the third time on Wall Street and hope that one day you can come see the trading in action yourself. It's an electronic charge. That's right, an electric one.
stocks change hands, something that makes you feel small compared to the forces that move the market. The bottom line, though, never forget that the floor is ultimately a supermarket, with the merchandise being stocks. Except unlike an actual supermarket, the NYSE is more of a caveat emptor institution. Buyer beware. They can't pull back a Kroger, not even the Deli Cattle. But let's look at it differently. Let's look at it another way. Nobody ever made money going to the movies, but they sure made a lot of money buying the AMC, didn't they? Brian in Oregon. Brian. Mr. Kramer, so good to see you back on the trading floor this morning. Thank you, man. I, was welcome. I, love- I just love being back there. How can I help? I love Chipotle for the food, and I've loved it for the growth, but year to day, it's been a disappointment. They consistently beat estimates with a price target of $1,700. i have been a recent buyer in the 1400s. CEO Brian Nicole was very optimistic at the recent Piper-Sandler Consumer Conference. How do you feel about this high multiple stock that's trading below its 200-day moving average? Well, Brian, I've got to tell you, I, too, am surprised. The worst restaurants are going up and not the best ones. But Chipotle is the best, so you have to stick with it. I think it's a terrific opportunity, but I've been wrong. I've been right since 300, wrong for the last 150. So maybe you can say, Jim, what value are to me? But I've been right far longer than wrong, and I think the stock is a buy. And thank you for coming on the show. Bart, Missouri, Bart. Yes, Jim. Hello. Good afternoon. Oh, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. All righty. I had a question about uh, stock that I recently purchased, uh, Kinder Morgan or KMI. Sure. And I think Kinder Morgan, and this is tough, I like Pioneer for growth, okay? I like Chevron for yield, and I like Kinder Morgan as a pipeline company because it's really well run, and it's time again for KMI to do well. I would actually like them back on the show. I know that's probably not possible, but I do like them. Let's go to Jack in my home state of New Jersey. Jack! Hey, Jim. What's up, buddy? Not much. How about you? So, so Jim, the last administration was all about deregulation. Uh, One of the industries that was deregulated uh, was the chicken industry. Poultry factories uh, sped up their production lines. The USDA allowed the selling of diseased chicken for human consumption. And now the CDC is probing outbreaks of salmonella, salmonella in 40, uh, three different states. Then in 2019, the USDA publishes their final rule to deregulate meat inspection. Okay. And six months later, meatpacking plants uh, workers all over the country are hit the hardest by the pandemic and are all, all infected with COVID-19. Then last week, get a cyber, t- uh, cyber attack and right. a big resignation in the meat industry. Jim, right. I think something's up now that the Biden administration is about to do a 90-day study on what caused the pandemic. So my question is, if the pandemic had anything to do with the deregulation of the food and meat industry, how many doors would that open up for Beyond Meat? Well, look, Beyond Meat is both a price situation and a belief that the service businesses like the cafeterias were going to come back. And that's what I've been saying while I've been pounding the table. That's what really matters. Ultimately, what will matter is it, we're just going to realize that cows are real lousy energy distribution, whatever. They cause methane. And frankly, even though, as much as I like them, it's a real inefficient way to get your protein. Anyway, look, the nice is back, baby. Some may think the floor doesn't matter anymore, but I say it's an important shrine to capitalism for better or worse. Oh, man, money tonight. T-Mobile is giving the competition a run for the money as it works to bring 5G to all. But after 42% run over the past year, can the uncarrier stock continue to soar? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then Amazon founder Jeff Bezos announced he'll fly to space. But can the stock of Amazon soar to a new stratosphere as well? Whoa, I'm going off the charts to find out. And TradeWeb had been a COVID-era winner. And with the company reporting record monthly transaction volumes in April and May, it sure seems that traders who turned to the company during the pandemic 
are sticking around. I'm going to talk to the CEO to find out what it means for the stock. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Good management is priceless. Just look at T-Mobile. Not that long ago, these guys were marginal players in the wireless industry, but thanks to bold management, customer-friendly ethos, some brilliant uncarrier branding, and last year's merger with Sprint, T-Mobile's become a heavy hitter. Now its market capitalization isn't much smaller than Verizon or the clown show. Sorry, that is ATT. Two companies have been running circles around for years. I mean, these guys have been crushing them. And the gap just keeps widening. Since the end of 2019, T-Mobile's run up 83%, while Verizon lost 7%, and ATT's plunged more than 25%. Some of that's the sprint deal, but a lot of it comes down to execution. Right now, all the major phone carriers are rushing to build out their 5G networks. And based on the most important metrics like availability or speed, T-Mobile's got the best 5G in the nation. They've gone from the uncarrier to the Uber carrier. No wonder T-Mobile keeps putting up tremendous numbers. They had 1.4 million net subscriber additions in the first quarter when Wall Street was looking for less than a million. So how much longer can they keep this up? And is 5G too far away to make a real difference? So let's check in with Mike Sievert. He's the relatively new president and CEO of T-Mobile and the guy who came up with the Uncarrier ad campaign back when he was chief marketing officer, John Ledger's successor. Mr. Sievert, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. All right, Mike, I'm going to start with something that was so hard for me, but you're going to boil it down to translation because it's why you're winning. It's propagation, it's densification, and it's time to market. In English, tell our viewers what that means. Wow, fantastic. Well, you just did it for me. Look, for the last few years, our competitors have been confused and distracted. Confused that maybe media convergence was the future, that there would somehow be synergies there. Uh, Distracted around millimeter wave technology, which is uh, radio waves that don't propagate very far from towers. And T-Mobile saw years ago that the future was 5G mobile internet pure play, something the rest of the industry is just waking up to, and that it would unfold in the mid-band Goldilocks spectrum. The spectrum that we went after when we pursued the Sprint merger. 
Well, okay, I know a lot of what you're talking about is 5G, but we're not in 5G yet. We're in a 4G world. And in a 4G world, I could argue that Verizon and ATT have the edge on you. And that if we're thinking in the future, great. But I'm an in-the-now guy. Tell me why you're doing better than they are now. Well, last year, Apple and Samsung mainstreamed 5G in all their phones. So practically every phone everybody gets today is 5G. And look, you're right. If you back up into 2010, Verizon and AT&T led the 4G era. T-Mobile and Sprint were distant thirds and fourths. And Verizon and AT&T made the rules of that era. And you know what? Those rules sucked. They were terrible for customers. And we changed all those rules. But guess what? We're making the rules for the 5G era because we're way ahead. And I mean, miles ahead. And those rules are going to be customer friendly and it's going to we're going to be able to monetize, you know, this lead over the decade. We're going to hold on to this 5G lead for the entirety of the 5G decade. And 5G is just the latest round of network technology. Eventually, everybody will have it. Coverage better or worse than the other guys. Way better. We cover 295 million people with 5G today. Now, their 5G uh, extended range is about the same speed as LTE. Ours is twice as fast because we have dedicated spectrum on it. But the real place it starts to showcase our lead is what we call extended extra capacity, ultra capacity 5G. We're covering 140 million people with that today compared to like four or five million with the other guys. And we're going to be at 200 million by the end of this year. 200 million people with a form of 5G that's eight. 10 times faster than LTE, like 325 megabits per second, like faster than your Wi-Fi by far, covering 200 million people this year. It puts us years ahead of the other guys. For being at home? Absolutely. It's one of the uses for it. You know, look, if you can have a a wireless connection that's faster than most people's Wi-Fi, wouldn't you sell broadband through it? And, you know, while the rest of the guys are trying to scramble to figure out how to get fiber or millimeter wave, We're bringing competition today. You know, we're covering 30 million homes today with 5G home broadband available on the market now. And it's 100 megabits per second. And this is about choice. You know that 42% of this country has no choice when it comes to their 100 megabit per second broadband? No choice. That means one or less options. No competition. That's un-American. We're changing all that right now. All right. Now, Now, I know you got product leadership. I know you got value leadership. I know you got experience leadership. But... How about balance sheet leadership? There was a time when uh, Sprint's balance sheet completely in tatters. Jeez, we at Dan Hessel, the stock was at, stock was at two bucks. I, a lot of people thought it was going to go bankrupt. Now, you have a better balance sheet. Can you really fight with the big boys? Your balance sheet versus Verizon. Your balance sheet versus ATT. Well, look, we think we're going to be able to deliver within a leverage of 2.5 and corporate grade and corporate family investment grade securities. We're going to be able to deliver up to $65 billion in free cash flow during our five year planning horizon. Uh, So this is a this is a company that's translating the promise of our merger into synergies and into value creation for shareholders. And we've got the wherewithal financially to defend this 5G lead for years to come. And the ATT, One of the reasons is that unlike the other guys, we didn't they have just more cash flow. They have a lot more cash flow. They slash your dividend. They can go against you. Well, you know, it's interesting. It took them years to figure out that the future was 5G mobile internet pure play. But unfortunately, they don't have the hand of cards. They're years behind now. And we've got the wherewithal to stay ahead for years to come. A part of it is Verizon just spent $55 billion and AT&T nearly that much on Spectrum to catch up to T-Mobile only to fail to catch up. And that, that's not great for their balance sheets. 
So how about your relationship with Deutsche Telekom? I find it fascinating. They want to be even bigger in your company, which I think is incredible because SoftBank's kind of out. But DT seems to want to be a, a huge force right now. Absolutely. Remember, for the entirety of this successful journey, DT has been our controlling shareholder. So nothing's different there. Standalone T-Mobile, they were a 63% holder. But in the new T-Mobile, after the merger, they fell below 50%, even though they continued to control us through a proxy up for SoftBank shares. So they want to get back above that 50% at some point, but it's just getting back to where they've always been. Nothing newsworthy there. All right. Well, it just, it's newsworthy to me because if they really felt that it was time to cash out, they would. And they're not. They're going bigger because I think they see the future. And I think the future is 5G. I had to talk about the others, but I see what T-Mobile's done and you have run rings around everybody else. Mike Siebert, president and CEO of T-Mobile. Thank you for coming on the show. Great to see you, Jim. Look, it's, what can I say? It's the best one. It's been the best one. It remains the best one. It's just the best uncarrier there is. Bad money's back in. Coming up, Prime Day. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brosnier. Can the charts tell the secret of Amazon's success? Kramer tackles the technicals next. The only thing better than the stock of a great company is the stock of a great company that also has a great chart. So as the world goes back to normal, I want to circle back to one of my absolute favorites since the show began, and I'm talking about Amazon. Now, there are lots of skeptics who see this as a COVID winner, a stock that's suspect in a world where it's safe to go shopping again. But I think they've got it dead wrong. Amazon's got a lot going for it right here, right now, both in terms of the business and the charts. Forget that Jeff Bezos is launching himself into outer space next month. What matters is that his handpicked successor, incoming CEO Andy Jassy, remains earthbound. Billionaire space race aside, the fundamentals are fantastic. When Amazon reported roughly five weeks ago, the retail death star blew away the numbers, even if the stock didn't get much lift. That's actually right about where it peaked. Part of that's a widespread sense that there are easier ways to make money in this market, especially since Amazon should be up against some tough year-over-year comparisons going forward, because now we've lapped the pandemic. How many times have you heard that? I disagree. Amazon is firing on all cylinders right now. The retail business has taken a lot of market share in all sorts of humdrum categories. Think the stuff used to go at the, get at the drugstore. Once you start ordering toothpaste, I do that, by the way. I've got it like it comes. I have like 47 tubes of tooth. I don't even know what to do with this stuff because I've 
on one of those subscriptions. Paper towels online, same here. I'm betting that habit doesn't go away. It's too easy, okay? Even now that it's safe to shop for toothpaste and paper towels in person again, the Sensodyne's going to pile up in the basement forever. Plus, Amazon Prime is one of the best bargains on earth. You get free shipping and an enormous library of video and music content, a library that's about to get a whole lot bigger now that they're buying MGM. Look out, Netflix. I think one of the reasons Netflix stock has actually been not that great is because of Amazon. Meanwhile, the cloud infrastructure division remains in excellent shape. Amazon practically invented this business, and they're still the top dog with accelerating revenue growth, are up 32% year over year. As the world goes back to normal, Amazon's seeing many enterprises embrace the cloud because they're sick and tired of managing their own on-premises tech infrastructure, which is really expensive. This is one of those powerful long-term themes that's going to keep chugging on for years and years. Amazon's a three-legged stool, though. And the third leg is online advertising. This whole space is on fire as the entire travel and leisure sector has come back buying ads again after spending a year on hiatus. Amazon breaks everything down into retail, web services, and the other. But the vast bulk of the other is advertising. And that unit's growing yet. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? A 77% clip. According to Loop Capital, Amazon's ad revenue is now 2.4 times larger than Snap, Twitter, Roku and Pinterest combined. And on average, it's growing 70% faster. Put them all together. These, these four companies are worth roughly $240 billion. When you adjust for the larger size of Amazon's ad division and its faster growth, Loop Capital makes the case that this business alone could be worth $900 billion. Even for a $1.6 trillion company that accounts for more than half of its market capitalization, no one even thinks about it. Remember, advertising is the smallest piece of the pie here. It's a business that could be worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Yet given where the stock's currently trading, I'm, I'm saying you're getting it for free. Best of all, right now, Amazon's got a major catalyst coming up, something I held off buying something for this morning because it's Prime Day coming up. Yes, shopping holiday where Prime members get huge discounts on June 21st and 22nd. I'm going to get myself some Father's Day presents. I expect Prime Day to do huge numbers. And when Wall Street sees that people are shopping online, still the stock should rally. However, if you really want to nail the timing, you know what you need to do. You need to dig in the technicals. So let's go and nail this one down. Let's go to the charts with the help of none other than Larry Williams, the legendary technician who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since before I learned how to drive, let alone manage money. Now, Larry's got an incredible track record when it comes to spotting cycles, patterns that repeat. And he's made a series of spectacular calls for this show since the pandemic first hit, most notably when he mailed the bottom in the economy 14 months ago. So when he says Amazon's ready to roar, remember, I didn't prompt him on this. Well, let me just say, you better listen. So let's start with the daily chart. And we're going to go back to to, to September. The blue line here shows the seasonal pattern, okay, in Amazon, meaning how the stock is historically traded at this time. Well, look at this. Williams points out that Amazon typically rallies in March and April before drifting down in May, then taking off in June. And that's why he recommended it for a short-term trade in the week after Easter, a trade that paid off beautifully this year. Now that the stock's gotten through the usual May downdraft, which, by the way, wasn't all that severe. I mean, you know, honestly, some people thought it was severe, but I, don't, I could handle it. Williams thinks the historical pattern will continue to repeat, meaning Amazon is poised to rocket higher to the moon, as YOLO says, or whatever that apes them, whatever. Of course, the seasonal pattern is not enough to make him pound the table. Not by itself. Good chartists also look for confirmation, keyword, from other technical tools. So check out the bottom of the chart. That red line is Williams's 
He got his own indicator, huh? Propri- he's got a bunch of proprietary gauge of institutional buying. In other words, it tells you what the big money's doing. In the case of Amazon, we've seen a major pickup in institutional buying since the beginning of May. Even as the stock pulled back over the past month, look at this, buying when it's going down. And buying like that is extremely bullish. Now, I'm going to zoom in with the past few months, all right? The purple line is what's known as the on-balance volume. That's a cum- they think this is cool. A little step up for us. Yeah, that's what happens when you go on vacation. Cumulative indicator that looks at volume flow, adding the volume on up days and subtracting the volume on down days. According to Williams, this tool throws off buy signals whenever the stock price makes a lower short-term low, while the on-balance volume line refuses to go down. That's blue, this purple one. This kind of bullish divergence is something that chartists crave, and Amazon's got it in spades. We just got a new one over the last couple of weeks. The last time this happened in late March, the stock ended up making a major move higher. This is beautiful. Next up, years ago, Williams developed his own spin on the accumulation distribution line, another measure of volume flow that specifically looks at the trading pattern of market professionals. Again, not to show anything coincident, but to show predictive. With the glaring example of the meme stocks, the pros are usually the ones who set prices with their buying and selling. Take a look. Again, with this kind of volume gauge, Williams likes to look for divergences. When the stock goes up, okay, but this green line goes down, that's bearish. When the stock goes down, but the green line goes up, like you've seen in the last couple of weeks, that's very bullish. Yet another reason Williams likes Amazon here. What else? Williams is the master spotting short and intermediate term cycles in a stock action that's projecting them forward. So take a gander at this one. When it comes to Amazon, he thinks the most dominant medium term cycle lasts for 60 to 65 days from peak to 12. On average, it's 61 days. When you overlay that cycle on the action, you can see it called for a low in early December. Okay, so we got and that's exactly what happened, right? Uh, another low in March. Again, what happened? And now I suggest we'll get yet another medium low in June. All right. So right now, it's kind of, well, this is where we are. Of course, markets don't always follow cycles. There's nothing guaranteed about this methodology. Approach is probabilistic. So what this chart illustrates is that based on the history, Amazon's got good odds of rallying from sometime this week. We're right here through the middle of July. Don't you have to get on board? Don't you have to? The bottom line. Right now, both the fundamentals and the charts, as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams, are screaming that Amazon's a buy. The stock has spent the past five weeks catching its breath, and now I think it's once again ready to roar. Hey, you know what we ought to do? Let's run it by Alexa. Hey, Alexa, is the stock of Amazon a buy? Well, there, for everyone who has an Alexa, that cements it. Duke in Virginia, which is really kind of contrast, because it could be Virginia and Duke. Duke. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Big fan of your show. Hey, oh, I got a question you. concerning uh, Alibaba, the uh, Amazon of China. Yeah, Back I like February, it. February, okay. you do? Because it's been staggering at 217. Well, the government's been kind of hammering it. You know, the government has not been the way I like it to be about almost any Chinese stock. But this is the one that's going to roar and come back first. I say get long it or stay long it. And I don't say that a lot about any Chinese stock. Uh Uh-uh, no way, no how. Like the charts are screaming, screaming, screaming that Amazon is a buy. Alexa, tonight's chartist. 
There's much more mad money ahead over the past few years. One of the best sector themes in the fintech space has been the electrification of certain financial markets. Could a company like TradeWeb continue to back off the trend? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Then AMC, GME, NFT. Three-letter words with plenty of power. I'll tell you which, if any, could be worth considering. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Alexa, who is Kramer? Stay with Kramer. We know COVID has changed the world, but as we close the curtain on the pandemic, we need to find stories where things won't just change back. In other words, we're looking for permanent transformations. Take the digitization of the bond markets. Until last year, bond trading remained stubbornly analog. Think phone calls or in-person transactions. We knew this business would go electronically eventually, which is why I started pounding the table on trade web markets. The electronic securities marketplace when it came public a couple of years ago. But that story went into overdrive when COVID shut down the trading floors. I got behind this one in the mid-30s. Now it's at 81. And I wouldn't be surprised if it has a lot more upside because TradeWeb keeps reporting record monthly transaction volumes. Once you go digital, why would anybody go back? But don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Leo Lesky. He's the co-founder and CEO of TradeWeb Markets to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Lesky, welcome to Mid Money. Thanks, Jim. Real pleasure to be with you. Okay, so Lee, you know we've been a big supporter of yours from the days when actually you were focused on rates trading. But you've got a much more diverse platform right now. I'm talking about rates, credit, uh, equities, including ETFs. So I want to want you to introduce yourselves to people who watch about how you're a much bigger company than when you started, and how you're taking a lot of share and a lot of names. Yeah. Well, look, it's been a it's been a run for us. We. Uh, we started the business in uh, 1997. We actually raised $8 million in capital and started trading in 98, uh, started in the treasury market. We were the first firm to actually allow institutions to trade over the internet treasury markets. And, you know, over the last 20 years, what we've been doing is adding asset classes and expanding our reach really around the world so that now we have you know, this vast network of customers connected up to TradeWeb, trading in all sorts of different asset classes. So while we started in rates, we've moved on. We have credit now. We have money markets. We have derivatives. We have ETFs. And we have this broad network of 2,500 institutions uh, trading all these different products. But I would say, you know, what our real differentiator as a company has been over these 20-plus years is the people in the company. And what I like to think of as uh, collaborative innovation. And it's this innovation where we've been building new functionality, new bits of software that allow our customers to trade more easily electronically in what are fairly complex markets. But, so this innovation is is really the biggest driver. But let me ask you something. You know, you got a competitor in market access, and they've been on a number of times. What's your advantage over them? Yeah, I think... You know, the, the trade web advantages are in part some of what's been happening in the markets in terms of digitization, and that applies to everybody. But the core core of what we do is this very diverse offering. So we have, we trade now, you know, roughly a trillion dollars a day. That's the average for the first five months of this year. It's a vast market with a lot of different instruments. And our customers like the fact that we can offer things in uh, rates and in credit and ETFs and derivatives. So this diversity is a big, big advantage that we have. 
The other thing we have is we've been doing this for 20 plus years, so we have a huge network of customers, 2,500 institutions that are integrated into our software and our markets, and that allows us to extend into new asset classes and new regions. We're actually in over 65 countries around the world. So the combination of all these factors is really, it gives us a big advantage. Right, so, Lee, I want to talk about something that is important to, uh, to our viewers and really important to me, which is the Climate Bonds Initiative. This is a new world. And if you're not on board, yeah. frankly, go home. Tell me about this Climate Bonds Initiative because I think it's very significant. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, look, it's, it's an important thing for our, our people, our employees, our investors, and our clients. And if you look at the numbers in climate bonds in, in sort of the ESG space, that number has surged for us. So if you, we're, we're starting to put out these numbers, but if you look at last year, so 2020 compared to 19, we had a 60% increase in the amount of those bonds that have been traded electronically. So what we've been trying to do is, is focus on this in a genuine way that's related to TradeWeb. And we're an electronic bond network, so we're trying to highlight those bonds. I think last year our numbers were over $80 billion that we were trading in terms of just climate-related bonds. We think that number is going to continue to grow, and we're trying to do things at TradeWeb to support the attention, the focus, and the ease with which you would have in getting in and out of those bonds. Right, well, who, who does the bonds? I'm sure our viewers at home are saying, well, listen, I mean, I want to own a climate. They, but they, really, I'm saying they'll probably say, I want to own a climate bond or climate bond fund. Who does it? Who issues it? And why should we trust it or think it's a good investment? Yeah, you know, I- interestingly, it's a wide range of both companies, so corporate bonds, but also governments now. Uh, governments around the world are starting to issue bonds that are focused on climate-related uh, activities. So what we're starting to see is there's, a, there's more issuers, there's more focus and attention. And I think one of the interesting things about TradeWeb is we have all the different client segments on the market. So in addition to having this breadth of all fixed income instruments from government bonds to credit bonds to derivatives and ETFs, we also have a very diverse client segment base. So we have the wholesale markets, we have institutional markets, and we, we even have retail markets, the, the financial advisors who can access bonds on TradeWeb directly. So it's out there for everyone. I think it's a question of getting comfortable with it, getting comfortable with the, the credit that's associated with the offering, and then just education. And uh, finally, your tie-up with Amazon Web Services Data Exchange seems to be, a, to me, a differentiator. Yeah. Well, look, the, the, there, there's no doubt that the cloud is, is a big part of the future for everybody. And we're, we're spending a lot of time, our team, and focusing on it and how we can best deliver into the cloud for our customers because we know that that's the future. We know where things are going. And so we've started with Amazon. We're looking at a lot of other options in terms of how we can deliver essentially our data and our transaction capability to meet our customers in the cloud so you can reduce the amount of hardware you have, the amount of metal you have, um, which, by the way, is a positive for the environment, but it's also a real efficiency, and it's absolutely the future. So I think there's a lot more to come on how the markets will be interfacing with the cloud. So, we're talking to customers so people about aren't it going all the back time. To the way they, before they weren't going, they're not going back to the way they were before the pandemic, are they? No, I, I don't think so, Jim. I think it's, look, the, the, the fact is the digitization is a, is a trend, a secular trend that's been happening throughout a lot of different industries, as you're, you're well aware. 
it will continue in the bond yeah. markets. There will be more and more digitization. And, and look, we trade on our system, we trade a trillion a day. The markets that, that are part of our system trade six trillion a day. There you go. So we're still just touching the edge of this. Well, I think it's, you know, we think it's a great sector of growth story. We said this from the day you came public. Leo Lesky, co-founder and CEO of TradeWeb, TW. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Jim. Look, this is a cut and dried story. You used to pick up the phone and you say, listen, I want to buy bonds. It, that's a silly way, right? Now you just do this over TradeWeb. Everybody makes a lot of money. They have money to back up right? Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder. And answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's time for the Lightning Round! And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? The Lightning Round is over with Roxy in New York. Roxy! Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Roxy. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm a new investor, and I, I really appreciate your show. My question is, what are your thoughts on Novavax? I have to tell you, even after today's run in Moderna, I still prefer Moderna stock to Novavax, because I think that Moderna can do a lot more with its formulations than Novavax, Novavax ever can. Tony in New Jersey. Tony! Yes, uh, that's the claim. I would like to thoughts uh, on uh, Philomars International. Philomars Look, it's a very good company. Uh, I don't recommend tobacco stocks, but it's very well run. It makes a lot of money, and it's very good. I always hesitate to say, hey, buy Philomars, but it is a very good company. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex! Booyah, chill man! Yo, man, what's so, going on? So my stock, uh, I'm going to need hand sanitizer in my feet to get into this chopper. What do you think about Blaze? Rob Wiesenthal, boy, I met him years and years ago. Um, $10 stock probably stays at 10 bucks. I think there's better ways to make money, frankly. Uh, I'm not going to recommend the stock to you. Let's go to Betsy in Virginia. Betsy! Jim, I love your show. My question is about Atlassian for symbol team, T-E-A-M. I'm worried about its overvaluation and its debt. I think you have to worry about its valuation because that's why the stock is going down. I think it's a very good company, but no company can grow as fast as it has. It's got a $57 billion market cap- capitalization. That's just way too much. Uh, I, and I think it's a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of long lives out for the guys. I really do like the company, but I'm not a buyer. Bill in Vermont. Bill. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I've been a fan of yours for 15-plus years. Well, thank you. Lord Plus member, and we appreciate Yes, thank you for being in the club. Plate. Thank you. What's hey, going on? I've been in exact science for quite a while, and I'd like to know your thoughts on EXAS. I think Kevin Conroy's running a great company. I think he's found a lot of different ways to be able to help people, and... While the stock is down, it just happens to be one of those that's been owned by a lot of momentum, guys. I'm a buyer. How about Terrence in New York? Terrence! Terrence. Yes. You're up, Terrence. It's it's chill. What's up? I'm calling today about IGT. I can't believe this IGT continues to go higher. You know, this is computerized gaming, but they're really the only game in town. So I get it. I guess it can go higher still. It's been a huge winner. Gary in North Carolina. Gary. 
Hey, Jim. Long-time listener and watcher. First-time caller. So thanks oh, for fantastic. Taking my call. Fantastic. What's up? Okay, so with today's action in biotech, hopefully some relief is headed towards the sector. One ticker that seems very promising is Akibia Therapeutics. Ticker well, that's AKDX. in total spec, sir. That's just in total spec. Yeah, you can do it. It's a dice roll spec. That's not the kind of thing I like. But if as long as you recognize it's a spec, then be my guest. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, feeling desperate to pick a craze? Join a craise? Any craze? Suffer FOMO no more. And pick your poison with Kramer's help. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. This is a fabulous set. I, we missed each. We all missed each other. And even though when we were in, back in England with Chris, I was looking at David's back. Uh, I well, know. We first, we started 35 feet apart. Right. Remember, there was just time we were. Yeah. But let's just say it feels like old times. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. does make the meme stocks and cryptocurrencies and even non-fungible tokens so appealing. Mostly, of course, it's the money. But there's something else going on here, too, that we've got to talk about. Where else can you get a few buddies together and will yourselves into being right through sheer stubbornness? Where else can you have that kind of control over your own destiny? Whether it be the celebration of non-U.S. tender assets this weekend in Miami or the endless elevation of AMC and GameStop, these stories are all about traders taking up assets that wouldn't go up without them. Consider the case of the struggling movie theater chain that is AMC. This is a company with $5.4 billion in long-term debt. Yet last week, AMC raised more than $580 million through an $8.5 million share st- uh, stock offering. For that, it sold $230 million worth of stock to a hedge fund where both profited pretty much instantly. Normally, stocks get crushed when they issue big slugs of equity, but AMC actually were higher as the crowd of meme investors just kept buying and buying and why, buying. Why, 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 why? why not? The CEO, Adam Aaron, is doing everything right, and I mean everything, not only to clean up the balance sheet, but to grow his business as the world goes back to normal. Second, the same shareholders who like AMC at 9 love it up here at 56, up 8 today, because they're overwhelming the sellers like nothing I've ever seen. Three weeks ago, I warned the short sellers and even natural sellers to stay the heck away from AMC. Let the throng take it higher. Remember, it's a virtual virtual circle. The higher the stock goes, the easier it is for Adam Aaron to raise money, pay down debt, which is additive to earnings. As we come out of the pandemic, AMC is increasingly finding itself in a last man standing situation because the competitors have all gone under. That's given them the power to dictate terms of the movie studios for the first time in my adult life. They are in growth mode, people, and who knows where that will take them. Do not forget, do not forget that Adam Aaron is a hospitality king from previous jobs. GameStop's not much different. The buyers have so much firepower, they can make the sellers look like chumps, regardless of what GameStop actually says about the quarter when it reports later this week. Fire Ryan Cohen, the chain's new chairman and putative savior. I'd say nothing beyond some vague plans to expand into new industries. As long as there's no real roadmap, the buyers can dream up whatever they want. Is GameStop overvalued? 
Sure, by any traditional metric, it's ridiculously expensive. But I have to reach back to other things I learned besides Warren Buffett. I have to go back to Bill Murray, who said in that legendary classic, Meatballs, it just doesn't matter. Given that no one has ever seen anything like this except for the last big run-up in January, I think the buyers can keep picking themselves right as long as they stick together and don't run out of firepower. That will probably happen eventually, but you're taking your life in your hands if you try to bid against these people right now. Crypto's easy, even after the recent meltdown. There are so many people who became crypto millionaires simply by sitting on this stuff that it's created an unshakable throng. These things can get hammered, but as long as the throng is there, they should be able to bounce back, especially the big names like Bitcoin and Ethereum, although I think Bitcoin's going to take longer to bounce back. Not Ethereum, which I own personally. I own these things. As for non-fungible tokens, when you get enough rich people pushing some new asset, eventually the less rich one in. Of course, the NFT market has been falling apart, but it wouldn't shock me if they can jawbone these things higher, especially since there's not even a two-way market here. I'm not saying you need to own all these things. I know, like I said, in full disclosure, as I told you many times, I own some. But I think it's worth owning one, at least, as a way to ride through the throng. Just ride with them as a hedge against rampant inflation by government printing press. Pick whatever you want. I'm agnostic. Just be ready to gradually ring the registry after some very huge gains. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. Great to be back. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 